Turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy. For this Easter Sunday, we're leaving off our studies in the book of Philippians. I think we only have about five messages left in the book of Philippians. But this morning, we're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bible, turn to the place and follow the reading. I trust you'll not only hear the word, but you'll see the word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to have no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that their resurrection is past already, and overthrew the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We'll end the reading there at verse 19, and we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this Easter Sunday is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and in the verse 8. 
It reads as follows, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And my message to you today is simply this, to remember the gospel of the resurrection. Now I want to begin by asking a question. Why did the Apostle Paul write these words to young Timothy? Timothy at this time was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was also doing the work of an evangelist in Asia Minor. So why did Paul say to him, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel? Well, I'm going to answer that. Timothy at that time was full of fear and worry. He was worried and fearful about many things. The aged apostle was in prison. He was soon going to die. He would end his spiritual pilgrimage. And Paul was Timothy's spiritual. And at that time in Ephesus and Asia Minor, there was many who were teaching falsehoods about Jesus Christ. Many, of course, were therefore departing from the faith and turning their back in Christ. Many were facing Hardship and pain and suffering. This was a day of persecution, a day of opposition. For many, their lives would end in martyrdom. And the big question in Timothy's mind was, how can I keep going as a pastor? How can I encourage my people? Uh, how, how can we live the Christian life in, in this context, in this situation? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, how can I keep going in the 21st century? I was thinking yesterday, isn't it so easy to challenge someone about what they ought to do? I could um, challenge you uh, to, to pray more. I could tell you to read your Bible more, to witness more, to hate sin more, to do righteous things more. But it's one thing to tell you what you ought to do, but it's quite another thing to teach you how to do it. I can give you commands and exhortations, tell you to do this and that. But it's one thing to tell you what to do, but it's a different thing to show you the way to do it. If I just told you what to do without showing you the way, I'd fill you with a guilt complex. And you would feel unworthy as a child of God. And you would feel yourself maybe a, a super spiritual failure. Well, you see, the Apostle Paul, writing from prison in Rome to young Timothy, he had many sound spiritual exhortations for this young pastor. But I want you to notice that he also taught him how to do it. How to keep going in the Christian life. How do you keep going when it's hard and difficult? When, when dark things are happening, when you're depressed, when you're at the point of despair. How do you keep going when you're gripped by fear and doubt? How do you keep going when you're in danger of maybe even losing your own spiritual fire for the things of God? What is the secret? What is the great motivation, the, 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 the game changer? Well, let me tell you what it is this Easter Sunday. It is this. Here's the greatest motivation you can have as a Christian. Here's the, the secret game changer so you can encourage yourself to keep on going. And it's this. Jesus Christ is alive. That's the message of Easter Sunday. That's the message of every Easter Sunday. 
He is not here. He is risen as he said. I want to point you this morning to the empty tomb. Listen to what he says to Timothy. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Son Timothy, Paul is saying, I want you to keep preaching the same truth that I preached. I don't want you to water down the gospel. I don't want you to give in to the theme of entertainment. I want you to keep standing in the same ground that I have stood on. Here's how you can be encouraged. Here's how you can be helped. I want you to remember the gospel of the resurrection. And that's what I want you to do today. Remember the gospel of the resurrection. Three simple things. Remember the fact of the resurrection. If you look at the text, it says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. It's a fact that Jesus Christ this morning is alive. He literally, bodily, visibly, victoriously, tangibly, you could have touched him and he was real rose again from the dead. And I want to say this morning, I'm not just thinking about the reality of the resurrection. I'm going even beyond the credibility of the resurrection. I want us to think today of the validity or the fidelity, the the truthfulness of the resurrection. You see, if you take away the doctrine of the resurrection this morning... We have no gospel message. There were those in Paul's day who said there is no resurrection of the dead. There was those who said the resurrection was already past. Didn't we read that in chapter 2? Two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of Erd, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrew the faith of some. Verse 18. And that was troubling young Timothy. And Paul wanted him to remember the fact of the resurrection. Turn over there this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, Paul dealt with this in verse 12 right through to verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul's saying, well, let's think about that. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then what does that mean? It means this, Christ is not risen. It also means that our preaching is vain and empty. It means that your faith is vain. The word vain means empty. It also means we are false witnesses. It also means the dead won't rise up again bodily at the last day. And if there be no resurrection, then we're yet in our sins. And then, of course, it also means that the dead in Christ are perished. And it also means that if we only have hope in this life, we're the most miserable creatures ever. But look with me at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ Jesus risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 
This message that Jesus Christ is alive bodily is not just a pious statement of belief. It's not just a great, wonderful fact. Without this doctrine of the resurrection, it's useless to believe in the doctrine of the incarnation. It's useless to believe in the doctrine of Christ's sinlessness. It's useless to believe in the doctrine of his atoning death. Because the doctrine of the resurrection proves Jesus Christ, whom he claimed to be. Without the doctrine of the resurrection, the cross of Christ is useless. Without the doctrine of the resurrection, the cross of Christ would be a travesty, a tragedy. There's a story told about a, a girl who was a Christian. And she went to university and she was in her first year and she was doing philosophy. And her professor, of course, was an old skeptic and he liked to poke fun at Christians. And in the philosophy class this day, he asked, is there any followers of Jesus here? Put your hand up. And of course, the girl put her hand up. And um, he says, did you know that another name for Jesus is Messiah? And she sort of nodded. And he said, did you know that there was many messiahs in that day in the first century? Many people who claimed to be the messiah. Now, if they all claimed to be the messiah, which one do you believe in, girl? And you know what she answered? The one who raised himself from the dead. You see, that's, that's it. That young girl had the answer. She believed that Jesus Christ is alive. It, to her, it was a plain fact. It was a glorious truth. And if we were to bring the best legal minds to bear, they would all have to attest the historical facts of the doctrine of the resurrection. Because the story of the resurrection is all about simple facts and details. And someone has said that facts are stubborn Things And if this was a court of law and a lawyer was speaking, he would have to attest to the fact that Christ died. Death in all its ugliness would be brought to the fore. That would take us to the doctrine of the atonement. And that would take us, of course, to the fact that Christ was buried. And someone who's dead and buried, well, you don't expect them to come back again from the dead. He, he was truly dead. Remember the centurion and the spear and he thrust it into his side and out came water and blood. But Christ not only died and was buried, but Jesus Christ rose again. He is alive. He is the living Christ. And that's the very essence of the gospel message. It's all connected together. You see, it sets the gospel apart from every other religious message in the world. You see, I have a message for every seeker of truth. And it's this this morning, that Jesus Christ is alive. You think, for example, of Muhammad. You could visit his tomb in Mecca. Muhammad, of course, is the dead founder of the religion of Islam. Millions travel to Mecca every year. They could say, well, the bones of Muhammad are here. His bones are probably turned to dust by now. But Muhammad is in the tomb. 
has no answer to life's problems. He has no answer to death and its certainty. He has no answer to eternity's challenge and the judgment to come. But Jesus Christ has. Because his tomb is empty. And you visit the tomb and you'll not find any bones there. And anybody that says, I've got a bone of Jesus' body in any part of the whole of Christendom, well, well, they're a liar. Because Jesus Christ was raised bodily from the dead. Could I just add something? The disciples preached this message that Jesus Christ is alive in Jerusalem. It was the keynote of all their preaching. And by this message, they challenged the very strongholds of the devil. By this central message, they challenged the citizens of the the day. They they told them that Jesus Christ has abolished death. Jesus Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This message took hold. Now, Now, you've got to think of the first century. People who were facing life and death issues. People who were experiencing pain and suffering. Hardship and persecution. Knowing that their life could end in martyrdom. Yet those people were full of joy. They had peace through the believing. They had a a holy confidence. And, And what was it? That Jesus Christ was alive. That Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. And because he lives also. Then every one of us that are in Christ will also live in him. Their heart was gripped. Their mind was quickened by the power of God. Not merely paying a cold, mechanical, indifferent sort of life or lip service to that doctrine. It wasn't just lip service to a truth, but this was a heart-gripping religious truth. And they preached that message In the very place where Jesus Christ was crucified. To the very people that wanted him dead. They they preached that message in the very place where the tomb was. And remember in the mouth of that tomb was a two ton stone. Remember the tomb was sealed on the orders of Pontius Pilate. Twenty armed guards were at least around that tool. And of course that was the very place of the lie. Because the Jewish authorities paid the soldiers to say that the body had been stolen away by the disciples. Who moved the two-stone stone? Who caused 20 armed guards to fall asleep? What caused these 20 guards not to hear a sound as the stone moved and these disciples stole the body out of the tomb? And then add into that. What about the eyewitnesses? The two in the road to Emmaus. The disciples themselves. 500 at one time. Peter and John. And remember these disciples didn't believe in the resurrection. Their lives were full of fear. Remember they were in a locked room for fear of the Jews. They were full of despair and depressed. Their, their legs were like jelly. But when they seen the Lord. The risen Christ. Then the failures became firebrands. Those who were cards and wouldn't mutter the name of Christ became courageous. They, they were full of backbone now and they wouldn't bend or budge. And they had a power. A power that was 
undeniable. And what was that power? It was the resurrection power of Christ. And whether it was their past, whether it was the future, or whether it was the present, they kept their eyes in Christ. They didn't know what was going to happen in life's journey. They knew they could die at any time. They knew that the king of terrors and the terror of kings could come for them. But they had the gospel. Death is defeated because Jesus Christ is alive. And we are alive in him. And therefore they faced a happy and bright eternity. And they were living in light of that day when their body would be made onto Christ's glorious body. And they filled their mind with that simple truth. And they had no fear, neither for the future or for the present. Maybe you're here this morning and you fear the past. Maybe you have a guilty past. Maybe you fear the present, full of life's problems, big problems, little problems. You don't even know why you're getting out of bed in the morning. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's the breakup of a relationship. And you need succor and help. You need one to fill you with hope. Well, well, here's the greatest hope of all. Jesus Christ is alive. And if he is alive, then he can help you. He can succor you. He can give you his hope as you go through life's journey. The resurrection is a fact. Remember the fact of the resurrection. Very quickly, remember also the faith of the resurrection. If we go back to our text, what does our text tell us? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. You see, it's a, a fact that Christ was born, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again from the dead. But, but who raised him from the dead and how? And the answer is very simple, young people. God raised him from the dead. We have witnesses to the fact of his birth, the fact of his life, the fact of his death, the fact of his burial. We, we have witnesses to the tomb. You can visit the tomb, the garden tomb, to this day. You can say, well, he lives again. But none of us seen God do it. And you see, that's where true, simple faith kicks in. It's faith in an historical fact. You see, I believe in the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the facts that are presented in the Holy Scriptures. It's not just an anomaly. It's not just an unexplained event. It's not just an exception to the rule of life. Not a quirk of nature. No, the, the doctrine of the resurrection is not only an historical fact, but it's a theological statement of truth. It was an act that was wrought by the power of the true and the living God. The resurrection is really a miracle of God. It was God pronouncing a message. And the message was this. Remember Christ's sacrificial power. Turn over there to John chapter 10. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. He's in the upper room. He's encouraging his disciples. And he says this in John chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me, 
because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Remember he said during his ministry, destroy this temple, thinking about his body, and I will raise it up again in three days. And over there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, which is a tremendous epistle, it says in Romans 1 verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Do you see the connection? In other words, he was marked out. He was set forth. Here's the proof that his claims are true. The proof that he's the second person of the Holy Trinity. God incarnate. The God of all history. The one who was born for sinners, who lived for sinners, who died for sinners. He is alive again. And he's alive by the power of God. He's declared to be. It proclaims a sacrificial power. It proclaims his once and for all sacrifice for sin. The Bible tells us, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. His death remembers a willing sacrifice for sin. He bore the guilt and punishment of all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. His death is not a tragedy. It's the greatest triumph. His death was a defeat of death. It brought about the defeat of the devil. It brought about the breaking of sin's power. It brought about the defeat of hell itself. A death that dealt with sin, dealt with the law, dealt with the grave, dealt with the power of death, dealt with the devil. A, a, a death to glorify and honor God and satisfy his justice and his holiness. See, that's part of the faith of the resurrection. It proclaims his sacrificial power. The sacrifice was accepted by God because God raised him from the dead. He was declared, marked out, set out to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. It also proclaims his sovereign power. Turn over this time to the book of Romans again. Romans chapter 14 and Look with me there at the verse 9. Romans chapter 14 and in the verse 9. It says, And to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be both Lord, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And let me just read another scripture in conjunction with that. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Revelation 1 verse 18. You see, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the living and the dead. 
He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. In other words, he is sovereign. And I want to tell you this morning, it's folly to ignore the doctrine of the resurrection. It's an absolute folly. Because Christ lived. Christ died. Christ arose from the dead. And what does that mean? It means there's another life beyond this life. It means, young people, that death is not the end. And who's the great authority to tell us that there's another life beyond this life? Who's the great authority to tell us that death is not the end? Well, Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the great authority over every matter of life, over death and its certainty, and over eternity. We can have the opinions of men. We can have the greatest philosophers. We can have university professors step up and say, well, this is my thought, and this is my notion, and this is our scheme. But there's only one who has ever lived. Only one who ever laid down his life. Only one who ever rose again bodily from the dead. And therefore he himself has the real message. He's the meaning of life. He's the meaning of death. He's the meaning of eternity. In Matthew's gospel during his ministry, he says in Matthew chapter 8 and in the verses 11 and 12, he says this. And I say unto you, that's his authority, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, there's a life beyond this life. And regardless of what the university professor says, or the religious leader says, we, we have to ask them, what do they know about life? What do they know about death? What do they know about eternity? Here's the Lord of the dead and the living. Here's the one that has the keys of death and of hell. And what I'm saying is it's a folly to ignore him. Because one day you'll die. I was thinking about Maureen McNary's death at 67. I was thinking about Jean Arnold's death in her 90th year. And in death, there'll be a resurrection. And one day, we will meet him face to face. And in that day, where will we stand? When we see him as he really is. It's an absolute folly to ignore him and to deny the doctrine of his bodily resurrection. Because that resurrection not only proclaims his sacrificial power in laying down his life for sinners unto death, but it, it proclaims his sovereign power. It also proclaims his saving power. Do you know that he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him? Isn't that what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 7? Verse 25, he says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession. Do you see the connection? Christ's resurrection proclaims 
his saving power. He is able to save because he's alive forevermore. And he can save you this morning if you come as a sinner and you ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And he'll save you from sin's penalty and sin's power and sin's pleasure. And one day he'll save you from sin's presence. When I ask you to remember the faith of the resurrection, I want you to remember it proclaims so much about the person and work of Christ. Could I share with you one other thing? Remember the focus of the resurrection. This was how Paul encouraged a discouraged Timothy. Jesus Christ is alive. And because Jesus Christ is alive, we have a full and free and forever justification. He says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we'll maybe read verse 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Isn't that tremendous? Jesus Christ will give everyone in him a full and free and forever justification, legally declared righteous in the sight of God. The imputation of his righteous life put to our account. Not only is Christ the justifier, but Christ is our advocate. I was sharing this with some folks earlier in the week to encourage them who are battling with guilt and how many of God's people battle with guilt. Listen to this. And if any man sin, and we all sin, don't we, in thought and word and deed. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is the friend and champion of his people. He can say, yes, they have sinned, and that sin deserves punishment. But Father, I've paid the price for that sin. And I plead in the ground of my name and the ground of my blood that you'll forgive them. Christian life, remember, is not a bed of roses. It's not a life free of problems. Not saying you'll never be sick. Not saying you'll never have a day of darkness or depression or difficulty. But, but how can we endure? By seeing him who is our justifier. By keeping our eyes on him who's our righteous advocate. Paul encouraged Timothy not only to be encouraged but to endure. And if you read the context here of Timothy, he, he mentions a soldier. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he mentioned about an athlete. In verse 6, he mentioned a husbandman. And if you put it all together, here's how to endure. In the battlefield as a soldier in the army of Christ, here's how to endure in the sports field as you run this race. Here's how to endure in the, the, the plowed field of the farmer with all the hard work and difficulty. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Jesus Christ is not only our justifier and, 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 uh, and our advocate, but he's also our confidant. We were singing... Yesterday at the funeral service, safe in the arms of Jesus. And I, I was thinking of Gene Arnold in the presence of the Lord, 
being encircled in the arms of Christ. I was remembered a story as we finish of a cartoonist. The cartoonist was about a king. And he was out in one of his cities. And as he passed by, he saw this humble preacher. And the king looked at the preacher, and this is what he said according to the cartoon. So you believe that Jesus went down into hell. And do you know what the preacher said to him? He says, yes, he just dropped in to get the keys. You see, he holds the key of death. He holds the key of life. That's what we read in Romans. And that's the assurance because he is the key. Then death is not the end. There is such a thing as immortality of the soul. There is such a thing of an assurance of not only dying in Christ and dying in well and having a glorified body. But, but what a day it will be to, to close your eyes in death and awaken up safe in the arms of Jesus. Is that your assurance today? Paul talked about my gospel. And we believe today in a church that believes in the free offer of the gospel. You can hear the gospel. You can even understand the, the facts and the propositions of the gospel. But do you believe in the gospel? Have you embraced this good news as your good news? Paul talked about my gospel. And, and, and this gospel, of course, not only helps us to think of Christ as our justifier and Christ as our advocate and, and Christ as our confident, but Christ as our helper, Christ as our savior. As we go forth with this good news that Christ is risen. And that's all the focus that you should have. Here's how to endure. Here's how to encourage your heart in the Lord. Here's how to engage in evangelism. Keep in mind Christ as justifier, helper, savior, advocate, confident, friend, sovereign Lord, and much more beside. And I trust this morning, as we have thought of this, remember the gospel of the resurrection. You'll rejoice in this fact that you'll embrace this faith and you'll maintain that focus that Christ is alive and I'm justified. I have an advocate. I have a helper. I have a friend. And you'll keep your eyes in Christ. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being so patient as we have preached the word of God.